Good morning, Hope Church. Really good to be with you this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray for our nation at this time with these high death tolls. We pray for all of those who've lost loved ones. Lord, we pray for these vaccines that are being given, that they would bring protection against this disease. And Lord, we ask that you would stop this disease. And Father, this morning, as we look at your word, would you speak to us? Would you help us? And would you direct us in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. Um, we looked at the kingdom of God briefly last week. Uh, and this is going to be a subject that we need to revisit. You know, the kingdom of God is one of the greatest themes of the whole Bible. And it's really important that we grasp it as believers. And so it will interweave as we move forward. This morning, I've entitled A Fruitful Life. Uh, Jesus wants us to have a fruitful life. He wants us to be fruitful in all that we do. And I think that there are aspects of scripture that will help us in being fruitful, as we mentioned last week. I want to start by highlighting the importance of God's word in our lives. Now, we should take this for granted, but it does need to be emphasized. If there is no word from God, we are in trouble. God's word not only guides, but it sustains us and it provides supernatural power to them that believe it. Now, let me say believing is absolutely essential. Without faith, God's word will do us no good. In the same way that we need forgiveness and that we receive that by faith in Jesus, that is believing his promises of forgiveness and in his sacrifice, so we need to apply the rest of God's word. And faith is always a key ingredient. Uh, when we read the New Testament and even the Old Testament for that matter, believing and trusting in what God has said is always key. In fact, if you look at Jesus's life, the most often rebuke that he gives is for a lack of faith. Faith is so important, I want to illustrate it from a section of scripture this morning. You'll find it in Matthew 13, 53 to 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own hometown. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I'm also going to read this from the parallel passage in Mark. That's Mark 6, 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. 
Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own home, among his relatives and his own people. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. It's easy for us to pass over these verses, but it pays to stop for a moment and ask what went on. Jesus had been going around the whole of Israel. He'd been healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, multiplying food, doing amazing things. And then he returns to his hometown, the place he grew up. He preaches there, but they are offended. Why? Because he is a carpenter. Nothing special. And this offence causes disbelief. And the disbelief stops the miracles that he could do. Think about it, his own hometown. It also highlights a frightening truth. Where there is no faith, even Jesus can do very little. This means that whatever we do, whatever we focus on in life, ensuring that we have faith and that we're growing in for our faith is absolutely essential. We need to do everything in our power to increase our faith. For without it, there is little that Jesus can do. You'll remember when we looked at Hebrews 11, it said this in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And all those mentioned in Hebrews 11 are commended for their faith, not their action, their faith, although their actions came out of their faith. So how do we build our faith? Well, the parable of the sower comes to help us. Why? Why the parable of the sower? Because the parable of the sower highlights the things that stop us from having faith. If we deal with these areas that stop us from growing in faith, then we'll be able to do amazing things as Jesus did. Now, I read the parable of the sower last week, so I'm not going to read it again, but I will read Jesus' explanation of the parable. Matthew 13, 18-23 Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now the seed here is very clearly the word of God, and as we highlighted last week, the word about God's kingdom. For living in God's kingdom is God's end game for each one of us. And this starts now while we're on earth, not just when we get to heaven. It would be great if God's word had direct entry into us without hindrance. But this parable shows that it does not. 
and the parable lists three ways that God's word can be sabotaged as it comes to us. The first is this, the devil snatches it away. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was what was sown along the path. So here's the problem. Satan knows that faith in God's promises will give us those promises. His entire objective is to rid the world of God's word. After all, if there is no word, there is no faith. We see this in nations such as China, North Korea and others. We see it in recent attacks in the UK by people who want the Bible banned uh, under hate speech laws because of its position on marriage and sexuality. Then there are a myriad of attempts to discredit God's word through publications, websites, documentaries and videos and movies, all attempting to erode the truthfulness of scripture. The result of this is that people no longer believe God. Worse still, we end up believing a lie. Now there are endless examples of this. It goes from simple ideas such as Christians saying, it's okay to have sex outside of marriage, which let me tell you it isn't, the Bible tells us that, to ideas where people believe that God will not send anyone to hell because God is love. All these are signs of Satan snatching the word by eroding truth. And ultimately, this position makes faith in God and in his promises impossible. So what's the solution here? Well, we need to heed the warning in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 11, Paul says, Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive... I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We need to be aware that the devil will look to snatch God's word from us. The only real solution is knowing God's word well. I cannot tell you how many times knowing and having memorized portions of scripture have helped me in combating Satan. You'll remember that Jesus himself, when dealing with the devil's attack, used God's word against him. You should also note that Satan used God's word in his attack. And let me be really clear, not everyone quoting scripture to you is speaking truth. In fact, some are using it in a downright demonic manner. The best solution I can give to you is get to know God's word. Read it daily, study it, obey it. And then the final solution to deal with the devil's attack is the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now it goes on in Ephesians 6, 12 to 20, and it lists some of the things that are the armour of God. Now, I don't have time to go through that this morning, but I would encourage you to study that because it will be of great benefit. But let me just highlight the areas where God helps us in our struggle against Satan. He helps us with truth, that is, believing scripture. He helps us with the gospel. The gospel saves us. 
He helps us with faith, trusting in him. He helps us with salvation. And he gives us a weapon called God's word, which is a sword. And it is powerful in combating Satan, as we've just said that Jesus did when he was attacked by the devil. A second way God's word is destroyed in a person is persecution. Verse 20 says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. Now, the problem with this second attack is that it's to do with persecution. Although this persecution would cover extreme persecution, such as uh, experienced by believers in places in India, uh, where people are martyred for their faith in Jesus, it also covers milder forms of persecution, such as ridicule, peer pressure, threats. There are lots of threats from groups in the UK like the LGBTQ lobby that are looking to have Christians discredited. And then also discrimination. People who, when praying with people or believing in God, lose their job. This problem will not be seen until persecution is experienced. And so someone may well be joyful and zealous for God, that is, until persecution results. I do wonder what this last year of COVID-19 has done in this respect for people of faith. I also believe that God has allowed things like COVID-19, these trials to test our faith, to see what kind of soil we are, not for God's benefit, but for our benefit. Now, the result of this kind of persecution is that a person deserts God. They turn away from their faith in Jesus. What is the solution? How do we deal with this? Well, we need to remove the rocks from the field to make it fruitful. It might be worth asking what these rocks could be. The clue here is in the word persecution. There is the idea that this is a fair weather Christian, if there really is such a thing. How does one become a fair weather Christian? Well, usually by a faulty gospel, a health, wealth and prosperity gospel, for example or a gospel that talks about victory, but not suffering, or a gospel that has excluded the cost of following Jesus. The simple solution here is to look at the complete gospel, not just the bits that we like. This of course means that we need to take a closer look at what the scripture teaches. Perhaps we need to have a conversation with genuine believers. Now, the problem with persecution is that it's only highlighted once persecution comes. And so we may be in danger of locking the gate once the horse is bolted. So maybe it would merit each of us to look at where we are now. What is the gospel we are believing today before we hit persecution? Now, I could ask you a simple question to highlight the challenge that this brings. Are you willing to lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ? This includes your family, your spouse, possessions, job, friends, your wealth and your comfort. If you hesitate here or are, or are unwilling, then maybe there is a problem. Now, I'm not saying we accept these things with open arms, no more than we would welcome persecution, 
but we should make sure that we don't walk away from Jesus as the rich young ruler did when he had those things challenged. So we need to make sure that we understand the right gospel now so that we can withstand the persecution when it comes. The final way God's word is destroyed in a person is when we love the world that we live in. Verse 22 in the parable, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. What's the problem here? Well, we have to live in the world, but we are reminded that we are not of the world. We are also told not to love the world. This is a major problem. Loving the world is hating God. We mentioned this last week. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this last point, but it is clear that the cares of this life, the allure of wealth, will kill God's word in us. As a reminder, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the result to this kind of attack is not hard to discern. Church history is littered with such cases, even in our generation. People who walk away from God because their wealth, because their career, because their family is more important than Jesus Christ. The solution is, as the Apostle John said in, verse, in 1 John 5 verse 21, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. The reality is anything that has a position that is more important than Jesus is an idol. And we need to regularly and consistently deal with our hearts and ask God to help us to remove those idols. The conclusion this morning is that if we get rid of these things from the soil of our heart, if we, get, if we fend off the devil's attacks, if we ensure that we can withstand persecution because we believe the right gospel and the cost that it brings, and if we make sure that we don't love the world, then we have clear soil and we will produce amazing fruit. Listen to what the parable says. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another 30. That is a fruitful life. Between 30% to 100% increase, what an amazing thing. And I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus wants to help you to be that kind of soil. He wants to help to get rid of the rocks and the thorns and the shallowness so that we are fruitful and fulfill his purposes in our lives. The only question that remains this morning is, which type of soil are you? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you that you help us. I want to thank you that you lead and direct us. And I want to pray today that you would help us to be good, clean soil that is fruitful. Help us to get rid of the rocks and the thorns. Help us to get rid of the hardness. Lord, I want to pray that you would challenge our hearts, not in a negative way, but in a way that we would yield more fruit. So bless us today and walk with us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a really great day.